0: Good to have you back here on a Wednesday edition of Sports Talk. Hi, everybody. Along with Adrian Broaddus, I'm Steve Kaplowitz. No baseball, but that doesn't mean we don't have Jay Jaffe uh, coming up today at 420. And Kurt Groves from Powerball Bat Company at 6. He's going to be with us in our Lubingo studios today. Because you want to know something? There's minor league baseball going on. Chihuahuas are getting ready for their season. Kurt's delivering Bats. And that's why I want to talk to Kurt about how this whole lockout thing is affecting him and 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 the great folks at Powerball here in El Paso, Texas. They make such great bats. They got a major league license. They deliver bats to big leaguers, minor leaguers, and you and me. We can buy the same bats that Kurt uh, produces for the big leaguers. It's that simple. It's awesome.
1: That is so cool. We get cool. We could use the same equipment that the bit that the best players in baseball use. So hundred percent,
0: hundred percent. I mean. We'll find out when Kurt uh, joins us in our studios today, our Lubingo Studios, uh, where uh, you know how many big leaguers are using the bats, and then hey, if there's a big leaguer that's using Powerball, and you know the big leaguer, and you like them, maybe you could just tell Kurt, hey, give me that model, and and I'll that's pay right. for it, and and go from there, just
1: like that. That's give, awesome. Give me the Cody Decker model. There I you go. It's
0: that exactly. Um, so Kurt uh, will join us at six. Uh, Jay Jaffe at four twenty today. Uh, Jim Center is going to be with us at 5 o'clock for front and center with Jim Center. That's going to be fun. No Jeff Erickson this week. Jeff and I are both so bummed that baseball is not going to be happening that we're going to take a week off of his fantasy segment, and hopefully uh, by the time we, we, we ramp it up again next week, we'll catch up on some things.
1: Hey, I will will recommend anybody who has a fantasy baseball draft this week, just check out his timeline, his Twitter timeline. He's like posting live draft uh, updates on his own end, so you can get some perspective from Jeff Erickson for free on Twitter.
0: I love that. That is great. Absolutely great. Hey, I'm in a good mood today. You want to know why? What's up? Guess what just arrived in the mail about a half an hour ago?
1: The fantasy baseball guide?
0: Nope, that would be awesome. That (laughs) would be awesome. No, listen to this. The last enforcer. Charles Oakley with Frank oh. Isola. Outrageous stories from the life and times of one of the NBA's fiercest competitors.
1: Wow. I love Frank Isola. That is awesome stuff.
0: So you love Frank Isola. I love Charles Oakley and Frank Isola. Michael Jordan wrote the foreword to this book.
1: You're kidding. What? And by the
0: way, it's going to be a fast read for me. This is 270 five pages 278 pages i'll be done with this in about two days so if you want it it's yours
1: please i'm in i'm I'm all in i want to read this one badly uh charles oakley he's done the media rounds so i've heard some of the interviews about this and uh yeah it seems like a great great book i'm in
0: we're hoping to get either charles or frank if they're still doing media so we'll see what we can do on that
1: let's do it i mean that,
0: that would be a lot of fun hey if you missed any of yesterday's show all of our youtube interviews are up right now all of them i mean we've got zooms with troy aikman um peter golenbach uh, also, Track Talk with Eric Galwin. It's all up on our uh, Zoom YouTube channel, because that's what we do. We, t- we take... This is the great this is this was the gift from for us from the pandemic. We essentially never did Zoom interviews ever with guests before the pandemic. Since then, that's our go-to because now we understand that the sound quality is so much better than a phone line and we can look at the guests. How do you say no to
1: Zoom? You can't. You can look at them, you could see their reactions or facial expressions whenever we have Steve Foster on. You oh, might yeah. get some weird props or some weird uh you know looks and stuff. Like that, so that's what makes uh, the Zoom interviews extra special. God,
0: the Foss—he's such—he, I love him. I mean, we—I I can't wait to have Steve back on the show again. That's going to be great.
1: Combine's around the, right around the corner, so there you go.
0: I could have gotten Foss credentialed for the combine. He just didn't want to make the trip out to uh, Indianapolis. Oh, He's man. too hooked on Vegas. He wants to go to Vegas because of the NFL Draft.
1: Okay, I'm he all...
0: wants to broadcast from the NFL Draft in Vegas.
1: Yes, I'm. I'm with that. Let's focus. All eyes, all resources, focus on the draft. All okay.
0: Right. All right, that's fair. That is fair. Eight eight zero five seven six three. That is our telephone number. As we get started here on the program, by the way, on a day like today, where I mean, people are just killing Rob Manfred because he was smiling and laughing during the news that he that he canceled baseball. <laughs> How messed up is that to be the commissioner of a sport? And on the day when you're announcing for the first time in 28 years, you're going to have the seasons uh, at least postponed for a couple of weeks, you come in laughing. What what is that? Is that just nerves? Is that stupidity? Is it all of the above? I I, I just don't know.
1: I when I was watching it, I noticed that he was like smiling when uh, I guess his favorite quote unquote writers were asking him questions, and uh, you know those writers that were asking him questions have probably written some uh, like some pretty uh, nasty things about this. Rightfully so. I'm I'm on the writers' side. And I'm on the players' side. They should be going against the owners yep. who uh, who Rob Manfred is siding with here, of course, because he's a commissioner of baseball
0: you know how about this so um i'm still looking to go to arizona during spring break and i want to know if any of these spring training complexes are going to be open to fans can you imagine if you know there's gonna be minor league games going starting this weekend there's gonna be minor league baseball and games and all that stuff can you imagine if baseball keeps everything closed so that you cannot see even the minor leaguers work out how Man. stupid that would be!
1: That would be grim. That would kind of give this eerie feeling if you go out there and there's nothing going on, Steve. That would be really weird.
0: It's possible though. You got to realize yeah. it's most of the uh, most of the minor league complexes have been closed to the to the, to the fans now. So what are they worried about? they Worried about the fans are going to protest, go in there and start carrying picket signs saying we want our major leaguers
1: back? Actually, that's a good idea. Now you might be onto something. There. I don't know what's going to happen. It's just
0: it, it's crazy. It is crazy, but anyway, that's the uh, that's the baseball story. We'll get the lowdown with uh, Jay uh, coming up here in in just a little bit. And and you know what else I want to ask Jay? I want to I want to go deeper into the issues. You know, we hear about the CBT all the time, but. I want to understand what the threshold is really about with the competitive balance taxes and how that works and why when everybody says CBT and you're throwing around hundreds of millions of dollars, we can kind of make more sense out of it. So maybe we can get Jay from Fangraphs to kind of make it, um, you know, dumb it down for us and give us a little bit easier explanation about where these two really are as far as the issues.
1: Yeah, I feel like if you're just an, a casual sports fan and you're looking at the baseball lockout right now storyline – you might just be guessing, well, and this is incorrect, but you might be guessing, well, it's are the players asking for more money and stuff like that? Well, no, that's not the case. And if you're a baseball fan, you might be siding with the players just blindly. And and this would be a great opportunity for us to break down the details behind everything that's going on. So, yeah, looking forward to Jay joining us and talking to us about all the specifics.
0: I am too. I am too. I think it's going to be fun. So that's all coming up on, on the show today. And, uh, again, excited about that. 8805763 our telephone number. I mean, there's football news today and it's all stupidity. I mean, this is this story here is to me is absolutely ridiculous. So, apparently <laughs> Matt LaFleur was asked about the Aaron Rodgers situation and what he said is he doesn't want to annoy Aaron Rodgers during the decision-making process. I mean, we are at a point right now where a head football coach is worried about annoying his starting QB as he decides where he's going to go. I mean, really, if that doesn't show you who runs the show in Green Bay, I don't know what does. Yeah. He's worried about annoying number 12.
1: He speak, it speaks volumes to the lack of communication between the head coach and the starting quarterback and the NFL's uh, reigning back-to-back MVP and Aaron Rodgers. And, uh, yeah, I, I would just, you know, if, if you're talking about Aaron Rodgers staying in Green Bay, I think there are a lot of signs that we've seen so far in this offseason that have signaled, yeah, maybe, he's, maybe the, the Packers are willing to work on something long-term and pay him accordingly. But on the other side, if there is not that communication, isn't that a little bit of a red flag right there?
0: I think so. The direct quote from Matt LaFleur at the Combine in Indianapolis was this. I told him, quote, I don't want to be overbearing and tell him every day how much we love him and how much we want him back. So you just want to be respectful of his space and allow him to think through everything clearly without being annoying, I guess. So, you know, That's that's the response from the head coach of the Green Bay Packers. He's worried about being annoying to Aaron Rodgers
1: man are you serious right now there's th- this is a job this is a profession you're supposed to let your employer know if you're coming back and free agency is literally right around the corner the packers need to know what they're doing because if they have to hit the big reset button then they're going to prioritize free agency completely differently than th- than how they would be doing it if Aaron Rodgers is indeed coming back so this really hurts their uh their outlook when it comes to free agency right here plus
0: Matt LaFleur is only four years older than Aaron Rodgers. It's not like one can't relate to the other. They're almost the same age. I mean, it's crazy. You would think that after all the years of working together, you know, you, you, you're, not, you're not worried about annoying your quarterback.
1: Is LaFleur like 40?
0: 42.
1: Wow. So, yeah, he's, he is right there in the same ballpark. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's
0: 42 and Rodgers is 38.
1: Yeah, I I just don't get it. Like, what can they not relate to? I I know we've heard about uh, Aaron Rodgers' spiritual journey, so does Matt LaFleur need to go with him on one of those those adventures right there and kind of go with him? And I don't know, like I heard that rumor about – well, not rumor. It was what Aaron Rodgers told Pat McAfee about how he went into the woods and he went through all that crazy stuff. And, you know, maybe Matt LaFleur needs to do those adventures with him.
0: Do you think he went into the woods blindfolded like Michael Scott on The Office that time when he decided he was going to try to live out by himself himself and see how long he yes. could survive.
1: Yes, I think he did. You I think so? I think so. I think Aaron Rodgers is just uh that kind of a weird guy.
0: We got a line ringing in 880-5763. That is our telephone number as we get going here on this Wednesday edition of Sports Talk. Uh so, yeah, I mean, that is a story that to me is a strange one. I think everybody understands the situation in the NFL with the Packers and Aaron Rodgers and, you know, just I don't know. LaFleur could have just said, you know what? We'll let Aaron make up his mind. Let him take as much time as he needs. We'd love to have him back. Instead of saying, I don't want to annoy Aaron Rodgers. I mean, that just comes off really weird. When your head coach is worried about being a nuisance to your franchise player uh, during this decision, yeah, that is uh, that's an interesting choice of words. Let's just put it that way. Okay. 8805763 our telephone number we got lines ringing in I see a line too we'll get to you in a moment but first I do want to uh, go to Gator Richard uh, joining us on the lines right now Richard what's happening man how are you I'm doing good hey I got some
2: numbers for you today Steve
0: Oh good I love numbers let's let's talk Ichiro. No
2: no not Ichiro, but here you go <laughs> 56 21, 100. Say that again 621 100.
0: 56 21 100. Okay?
2: So I guess technically you would call that a a triple double but since since you're in a you know 100 point range today's the anniversary of Will uh Oh yeah. Will Chamberlain's uh 100 point game.
0: Against but by he, the way, against I mean, who did he, he do it against?
2: Yeah. Who do you did it against? That's against a New York team. That's
0: right. The New York Knickerbockers, baby. They're the only team in basketball history that could have ever given up 100 points to one individual in a game. You better believe it.
2: Well, 56 rebounds, 21 blocks, too. So, he was playing at all that day.
0: I mean, that is, look... You think about first 1962, off, 1962. That's sixty years ago, and that
2: record still stands.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, who's going to score 100 points in a game? I mean, that's, let's uh, let's just think about that for a second. It's it's ridiculous when you start to think about 100 points in a basketball 56 game. Six
2: rebounds. I mean, that guy was all over the place.
0: Yep. How about this? 27 out of 38 free throws as well. So, yep. you know, uh, and he played all 48 minutes. Which is amazing,
2: yeah. It didn't uh, even go to overtime.
0: No, it didn't have to. It's the Knicks, come on, overtime. You know they gave up 160. They they scored 147 points and they lost, <laughs> which is incredible. So yeah, that is still, you know, it, it's it's historic when you start to think about uh, that performance in general. That's well, that's I mean,
2: sure. I, I figured I'd change the subject since you're talking about Aaron Rodgers. I mean, really, who wants to who wants to talk about that guy?
0: No. Well. That's I, I mean, look, uh, Rodgers. He'll do what he's got to do, and that's and that's going to be when, whenever he decides either to stay in Green Bay or go to Denver. Uh, you know, we'll find out when the time comes. Let's let, right. That's that's the best way to put it, uh, as far as you know, as far as that goes. So yeah.
2: Hey, any standouts in the combine today?
0: Uh, I haven't seen anything interesting yet for that. I, I have to check. By the way, Chamberlain did not grab fifty-seven rebounds in that game. He had listen. He had 100 points, he had 25 rebounds in that basketball game. So, 100 points, 25 boards. Let's not make him superhuman. I mean, the 100 you points. Sure about that? I'm looking at are you the looking I'm, I'm, I'm looking at the box score. Am I sure about that? I'm looking right now at the box score from that game
2: better look up on sports Illustrated not that ESPN site
0: I'm looking at basketballreference.com relax there Skippy he was 36 <laughs> from 63 for the field okay so he took 63 shots made 36 of them 28 out of 32 from the line and he also had two assists to go along with his 25 point a uh, 25 boards and 100 points so hey how
2: many block shots do you have
0: uh did it say blocks in that one. Doesn't, doesn't show me blocks, unfortunately. Here are the records he had from that game, okay most field goals, most field goal attempts, most free throws, most field most uh, field goals in a half, most points, most field goal attempts in a half, most field goal attempts in a quarter, most points in a half. You know he scored 59 points and a half of basketball in that game fifty nine That's a lot. yes, it is you're 100 percent correct. and you know what the saddest part of that game was. Only four thousand one hundred and twenty four fans showed up in Hershey, Pennsylvania to watch that game.
2: Well, I wonder what that ticket would sell for on eBay.
0: That's right. I would love to know that too, since there's not many of them left. That's for sure. But I'm happy you brought that up. Thank you. As a Nick fan, always good to get reminders of great moments in Nick's history, Richard, and <laughs> that is definitely one of them. That's for sure.
2: All right, see, Well, have a good one sir.
0: Appreciate the call, my man. Thanks again. All right. Awesome. 100 points. But the best was 57 rebounds. Like, you didn't have 57 boards?
1: Hit 25. That's still a lot of rebounds. Yeah, still a lot, but come on, man. That's a over exaggeration there.
0: You think? So, that's exactly. The problem was the Warriors had 60 rebounds as a team in that game. And the big man had 25 of them. So, still pretty uh Pretty impressive night when you start to look at a night of the office for uh, Will Chamberlain against the Knicks. Unbelievable. 19 pass. Let's go to Charlie for um, our first traffic update. Then right now, Jay Jaffe coming up next as Sports Talk continues. I would normally say time to talk some baseball right now, but there isn't any baseball because if you've been following what's been happening between the owners and the players, you know that we we will not have opening day on March the 31st. However... We do this every week at this time. Talk a little baseball and beer with this man. He is Jay Jaffe from Fangraphs.com. Follow Jay on Twitter at Jay underscore Jaffe. You can check out his story up on the site right now. No joy in Mudville. No CBA deal in Jupiter. And no opening day on March thirty first. Man, Jay, this this, is—it's a depressing day to talk uh, with you because you know this is one of those days where you realize we're gonna lose games. No agreement is at least on the horizon, and uh, you know baseball has dug themselves a huge hole here.
3: Yeah, it it, it really is depressing, and it's infuriating more more than that because um, you know the owners—they locked out the players on December first, and. Spent six weeks uh, without uh, starting discussions and gave uh, one formal proposal in uh, a ten-week span, and suddenly there's you know there's this rush over the past ten days uh, to get to an agreement. And while it seemed like they were close, uh, that was that was mostly just spin. Um, but you know these issues are, are 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 too complicated. The parts are there's too many moving parts. Uh, to get this done in the time they, they tried to get, and you know, I, I, this just infuriated the players even more. Um, I've, you know, I don't know if you saw it, but Ross Stripling, pitcher for the Blue Jays, is alleging that uh, uh, they tried to sneak some some fine print past them in the wee hours of Tuesday morning. Uh, you know, as they were as they looked like they were getting closer to the deal, and, and uh, um, you know, the the players' association is is well armed in terms of lawyers, and you know. They were they were prepared for that, but uh, it just shows you how odious this is. And you know, I don't know. I'm I'm frustrated. I'm very frustrated. I didn't think it would come to this. Um, you know, after losing uh, so much money during the pandemic and, and depressed revenues last year because of the early season attendance, I didn't think the owners were this, were were this uh, rapacious, but uh, they certainly are.
0: Absolutely right. Now, it's also really interesting, too, because I'm thinking back about all the labor disputes over the years that baseball's had. And and again, the last time we saw a work stoppage like this was uh, 1994. But Jay, it seems like over the years, fans have always put the blame on both parties, players and owners, whereas this particular lockout, everybody that is talking about this everyone is putting it solely on the owners which to me is fascinating because it seems like the players were the ones that at least tried to give up things during negotiations put a compromise together and were willing to to move off of some of their original um, you know the things that they wanted and where the owners have pretty much kept the same proposal every time and uh, even went so far as to tell the uh, players yesterday this is our final proposal, take it or leave it?
3: Yeah, okay, it's important to to realize the distinction between a strike, which the players call you know call, uh, and which we've seen several of that have cost actual games, including the 1994-95 strike that, that wiped out a World Series and a lockout. This is actually, uh, I believe this is the fourth, yeah, fourth lockout in major league history. Um, it is the first one that will actually wipe out games, uh, regular season games. Uh, there was one in 1990 uh, that threatened the regular season. They actually ended up just uh, settling it in time to set opening day back a week, extend the season by a few days, and every every team uh, except for two ended up playing 162 games, and two, two teams missed one game due to a rainout. Um, you know, <laughs> this can be done, and if the two sides really had the will uh, or, you know, to, to complete a deal, that is, if the owners really had a, had the will to, to make uh, a good faith effort to bargain, uh, we could still salvage 162 game season. As it is, um, it's going to be a few days before they get back to the table. Uh, I imagine the owners uh, are going to draw this out. I don't. I, I think they're, you know, from what we've seen, they're perfectly willing to lose April. You know, when there are fewer uh, fewer ball games and lower attendance due to weather, particularly in the in, in the northern climates. Um, This could be a while.
0: Now, you did a great job in your story breaking down the key issues, especially minimum salary where you took a look at what the players wanted and what the owners wanted and kind of where uh, both stood, which is not that far apart. The one issue that I want to talk about with my listeners right now is something that we haven't really gotten into too much depth because it's very complicated, but if you can – Talk a little bit about the CBT, the competitive balance tax threshold and why this has been such a central issue where both players and owners are so far apart as far as this goes.
3: Yeah, so the the competitive balance tax, also as the luxury tax, uh is basically it was it was put in place to to try to curb runaway spending uh you know back in the in, in in the early 2000s you know mainly to, to keep the Yankees in line um, what it has done is now that it has come to function as a as a as a soft salary cap uh, you see I think in last year there were there were four or five teams that came within four million dollars of, of going over the threshold we've never seen teams skirt at that closely uh, we saw only two teams go over the threshold that was the Dodgers who were you know Generally, been big spending teams uh, since uh, uh, the Guggenheim Group bought them from from Frank McCourt uh, and the Padres, who you know has suddenly gotten very aggressive about their spending. Even the Yankees have, have been under the, the, the cap for uh, for the last couple of years. Now, the problem is is that the the threshold to set off the tax, uh, which is a marginal tax, you're only taxed on the dollars you go over, um, it has has not grown. In, in pace with uh, with the way that revenues have, it, the revenues uh, have have grown much more quickly uh, than than the tax. And the owners were sticking with a very slow growth growth rate. Did not meet uh, even cost of living uh, adjustments. Uh, you know, like less than two percent per year. Um, and. You know, that's a huge problem because the players see that upper-level spending as as you know a rising tide that lifts all boats. If, you know, if if you've got the Yankees, you know, going for two hundred fifty million dollar payrolls and and paying Garrett Cole and you know, top free agents thirty million dollars a year, that has an impact on on industry-wide salaries. Um, but the owners have 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 come to use the CBT as as a salary cap, and because of that. Um, you know, we've seen four straight years of, uh, of total payroll declining, uh, even with even when adjusting for inflation. That's never happened in major league history.
0: The biggest issue I have is this, Jay. Some teams spend. Others don't. And the teams that don't will sometimes be able to take the money that they're able to get from the teams that do spend, use that for their bottom line, but they don't necessarily increase their budget. Look what happened with Jared Jeter earlier this week. He resigned as yeah. CEO of the Marlins because he was under the impression that they were going to spend 10 to $15 million dollars to get better. The ownership said, no, we're not. He said, forget this. This isn't what I signed up for, and he's out. And again, if that doesn't sum up baseball problem in a nutshell i don't know what does
3: yeah um i've got a, actually funny you mentioned that i have a browser tab open here from uh, a guy named jonathan judge who does uh, some some cool stuff with baseball Prospectus. um he, he he tweeted this yesterday afternoon right right when the the players uh, rejected the owner's offer reading between the lines baseball's smallest markets don't want to spend more money but they also don't want to be out outspent tough to make that work I mean, you know, teams, as it is, um, teams pool about 48% of their local revenue. Uh, so, you know, almost half of their local revenue goes into a pot and gets redistributed. That levels the, the playing field so much, makes it very easy for the Pittsburgh Pirates um, and, you know, and other teams that are receiving revenue sharing, you uh, to To turn a profit, even when they are not fielding particularly competitive teams, it's the the, the real problem has been, particularly over the last two collective bargaining agreements, is that um, you know is that it's it's very easy to turn a profit with all the with all the media money coming into the game uh, without fielding a particularly competitive team, and so you know when you decouple that. Uh, you don't have incentives to to invest back in the product. You can just, you know, roll out a seventy-five win team and, and and count your money.
0: More with Jay Jaffe from Fangraphs as we continue here on Sports Talk. But first, let's send it over to Adrian uh, right now in our Lubango Studios with this bottom of the hour Sports Center update. All right, Adrian, thank you very much. We're back right now with uh, Jay Jaffe. Follow him on Twitter at j underscore Jaffe and check out. Uh, All of his work, including uh, his latest up at Fangraphs.com, no joy in Mudville, no CBA deal in Jupiter, and no opening day on March the 31st. All right, so we were talking about uh, some of the issues, including the competitive balance tax threshold. Let's get to arbitration, because between the bonus pool for pre-arbitration... And eligibility for arbitration. This is another major issue in which the players uh, were, were willing to give a little bit more, but the owners really did not want to move at all on either of these issues.
3: Yeah. So, you know, one of the priorities in this whole uh, uh, set of negotiations is that the players, you know, want to make sure that the guys who, who um, have not yet re- reached free agency get more money earlier, because we've seen the trend, uh, you know, where teams are using more and more cheap labor. Um, you know, the minimum salary has not kept place with inflation, surprise, surprise. Um, and uh, so much of this is the is the players, particularly those with, with zero to three years of service time are the ones creating uh, value that's disproportionate to how they're compensated and they get used up. And, and you know, by the time they get older, um, and are and less productive. They're, they're, they're not getting that money. They've got to get paid earlier in their careers when they are, you know, when they're most productive. And so, you know, when you've got uh, the way the system has worked since 2013, if you have two years and change of service time, the top the top one sixth of the players with between two and three years of service time get. Um, are called super twos. And instead of having three years of arbitration eligibility, which is where your salary starts increasing from some function of the minimum salary uh, to you know, millions of dollars kind of multiplying um, you know, maybe, maybe two, you know, 2 million, 4 million, 8 million, or something like that uh, in, in those years before free agency, um, getting more of those players into, into that system. Originally they wanted everybody with two years uh, of, of service time to get in there, then they've they've gradually lowered their demands, uh, 75% uh, to, to to 35%. The owners have stuck with 22%, which is up from the 17% it was before 2013. But it's been 10 years stuck on that number. Um, you know the players want to get more want to get more money to those guys earlier in their careers. The owners have been dead fed against it. Um, those players are also uh, going to be eligible for. Uh, and everybody in the zero to three service time class is going to be eligible for um, this new pre-arbitration bonus pool, which which the two sides have conceptually agreed something like this will exist. The amount of money that funds it and the number of players that are, that are uh, involved in it and the mechanism to decide who gets what money are still up for negotiation, but they have conceptually agreed on this. Um, they're far apart in money, but it only an, an amount the the amount they're far apart amounts to less than two million dollars per team. The, the the players' last offer was eighty five million dollars into this pool. The owners' last offer was was thirty million into this pool. Uh, the players want to spread that money around one hundred and fifty players. Uh, the owners want to spend it around, around thirty players. We're not talking you know a ton of money here we're talking maybe a million dollars here and there for these guys which is you know significant money it's not going to set you up for life but it, you know it's a more equitable system of payment and you know the owners have, have have been uh very very cheap about this and uh you know that's that's part of why we are where we are
4: today
0: what about when it comes to tanking? Uh, both sides have had their issues of how to prevent this. which side in your mind is more reasonable when they when you start to dive deep into how to prevent teams from tanking in terms of getting better quality draft picks?
3: well I think you know, to get back to it I think the, I think the revenue sharing stuff probably has, um, has has a lot to do with the tanking and that's being that 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 the owners have not been willing to talk about the revenue sharing setup um, they are They have conceptually agreed on starting a draft lottery, uh, which basically means that, you know, even if you're the worst team in the league, you're not guaranteed the number one pick. Um, You know, you might get uh, a a top pick, but you're not necessarily guaranteed number one. You go into a lottery that's based on a few factors, uh, one of them being revenue-sharing status and... and, uh, um, you know they've haggled over how many picks to put in. I believe the last numbers were the players wanted seven, the owners wanted five. That's not too far a, a gap to bridge. And I think, you know, all, all else, you know, if they were able to find agreement on other issues, you know, they would they would probably, you know, find a middle ground there. Um, you know, in terms of both the number of picks and the mechanism, and that that and the minimum salary, to me, they're close enough on that. I think, you know, it, we can we can see. We can see um, you know the, the the coming together of a deal but it's the it's the the competitive balance tax is really where the fight is that and the pre arbitration uh, setup
0: well all I know is this uh it seems like right now with the current situation which is the first uh two series and now being cancelled not being postponed being cancelled uh Jay. How soon do you think both sides will get back to the negotiating table? And do you think the players will be able to stay united like they are right now and realize that even though they're losing paychecks, ultimately it's going to be for the best if they can get the owners to start to cave a little bit on what they want?
3: Yeah, I think the players are are, are galvanized to, uh, to a greater degree than they've ever been since the 94-95 strike. Um nobody likes Rob Manford none of these players like Rob Manford he has united them in their distaste for him uh, that's pretty remarkable um, you know you're, you're talking about uh, uh, guys making 40 million dollars a year and, and guys who are making the minimum salary when they're in the major leagues and they're getting jerked up and down uh, you know because they've got minor league options left they all they all dislike Rob Manford they're all going for the same goal there Um you know, and that's that's to get a better deal for themselves. Uh, so, you know, I think that they they have staying power. Um, it, it could be a while. One of the real one of the real issues uh, that comes with the actual cancellation of games or the attempt to cancel games is now is the length of the season um, and salaries and um, incentive, bonus incentives and service time, all of that now has to be negotiated. We saw in 2020 what a mess that is. You don't simply say, well, the season's only five months long. There's only 150 days of service left. Um, You're not going to reach free agency because you don't have enough days. No, that's not how it works at all. That's a collectively bargained uh, issue there. So, you know, you are going to see a knockdown, dragout fight over getting those days back and getting that money back and making a good faith effort to play as many games as possible, um, you know, because you're not going to prevent Shohei, Otani, or Pete Alonso two guys who are, you know, on the on the doorstep of free agency and stand to get, you know, co- contracts of nine figures. You are not going to get um, the players to agree to something that's going to short them the service time. So this just adds a whole new layer of of, of battling. Uh, over the resolution to uh, this deal.
0: If you would like to uh, read more about it and check everything out, I strongly suggest uh, you go to Fangraphs.com, read Jay's story, everybody else on the site, bookmark it, make it a regular uh, uh, habit because I'm telling you, they, they dissect it uh, better than anybody. All right, uh, let's uh, wash uh, all this uh, disturbing news down with maybe a nice bitter beer or something like that. Jay, what do you have for our listeners this week?
3: Okay, this one is, is from a, a, a brewery called Industrial Arts Brewing. Uh, they are based in Garnerville, New York, and I don't know exactly where that is. Um, but uh, they make some fantastic beers, and my, my my untapped says they're 35 miles away. So, okay. Um, so they're outside the city. Uh, they make some fantastic beers. Uh, the one I'm profiling today is called Wrench. It's a New England IPA, which means it's hazy. 7.1% alcohol. Um, I would best describe it as kind of a grapefruit mango creamsicle. It's got a little bit of sweet, sweetness on the front end, a little bit of bitterness on the back end. It is a wonderfully well-balanced beer. Um, I've had other beers by these guys. They do you know good pale ale, good pills, and they're very good stuff on, on all fronts. This, though, which I had tried a couple years ago and then sort of forgot about, uh, I had another one, and, and, man, I was just blown away. It was like, this is a great beer. So uh, that made my day when I had it uh, uh, last week.
0: Terrific stuff, Jay, as always. Appreciate the insight, and uh, we'll look forward to having you back with us uh, next Wednesday on the show.
3: All right, sounds great, Steve. Thanks.
0: Jay Jaffe, folks, as we continue here on Sports Talk, we'll take a timeout, come back. Plenty more coming up right here, 600 ES Piano Paso. Nine in front of five as we continue here on Sports Talk. Jim Sender is going to be joining us here in about the next 10 minutes. Looking forward to having the UTEP Director of Athletics back in our Lubingo studios to talk about the minors, answer your questions and comments, and we'll take live calls and tweets as well. Uh, when uh, Jim Center joins us for Front and Center coming up here to begin hour number two. In the meantime, hey, let's go back to the phones. And uh, speaking of directors of athletics, it wasn't that long ago when this man ran the show at New Mexico State. Oh yeah, and actually, it was that long ago. He's Jim Paul, and he joins us live on the hotline right now as he calls into Sports Talk. Jimmy, what was that about twenty years ago when you were uh, when you were running the show at NMSU? Oh, don't hurt me, Cappy.
4: Don't hurt me. <laughs> it was right after I. Played, you know my 20 years of Diablo baseball then I went up to New Mexico state for three years so yeah it, it's um, I think we're here in 2005 three four and five yeah I was gonna say it's that's yeah.
0: practically 20 years ago time flies Jim it
4: does it does but it was fun we did well
0: absolutely and I'll tell you something else uh Mario mocha has got a piece of you in him uh, there's no doubt about it you can tell that there's definitely some of you in him that's for sure that's a big compliment. Thank you. Absolutely. So I know you were listening to the Jay Jaffe interview, and you want to talk a little baseball.
4: Well, I, I, I Jaffe did a good job and he's presenting the, the points. And the big point to me is, and again, I never played the game. I enjoyed the game. I didn't quite understand it a lot so it, it took me a while to understand what they're doing out there because there's just so much, Subtly to what they're doing sure but these people it's all about greed it's all about greed and money and guess what The children don't count if this is a divorce we're fighting over divorce and we're going to learn to live with each other even though we're not going to divorce but it's but the children don't count and that means the fans nobody on either side is taking into consideration at all the fans and i've do not appreciate this commissioner whatsoever. What he did to minor league baseball last year by eliminating 42 towns and cities, their wonderful summers, seeing baseball, especially the smaller the town, the more enjoyable they came out and looked forward to their summer fun at a ballpark, and he eliminated them. Yep. Didn't even ask. And it was just rude. And I don't want to go into a lot of that of what I know, but I mean, there were some great towns that loved baseball, that had great following, and he just eliminated them. He doesn't care. He's all about making money for the ownership and appeasing the players, and he's not doing the either one. But that subject was what I think Jaffe touched on. To me, we forgot about the fans, and I'm as a as a baseball fan and somebody that enjoyed it for the 20. Four years that I was in it is that you know what they don't care you know nobody's wrote a column nobody said anything yeah I mean Cappy you bring it up in conversation but nobody cares about the fans we don't care we're we're, we're going to play the game when we're finally decided on how we're going to split all the money up that's what it is. how are we going to split all this bountiful amount of money and then we'll just Play the games and the fans will come back again.
0: Exactly. That's the thing, Jim. You said it best. And I'm running out of time this hour, so I'll give you the last word. But the fans are always – they always come back, which is why uh, the owners and, and when, the, when we have strikes and the players, they, they take them for granted because they know they'll always come back with open arms.
4: This is a different generation of baseball fans, and they aren't that devoted. Yep. Millennials and Generation X and Y, Steve, are not that interested, and you're not going to capture their interest by staying away from playing the game because you're
0: so greedy. And there's also so much more to do now than there was 20, 30, 50 years ago. No
4: doubt about
0: it. Appreciate you, Jim. Thanks for calling in. Jim Paul, ladies and gentlemen, as we continue here on Sports Talk. Speaking of Jim's, Jim center is next. We'll talk a little UTEP sports with the director of athletics as we continue. ...talk along with Adrian Broaddus, I'm Steve Kaplowitz. It's been a while since we've had this man with us in our Lubingo Studios, director of athletics for UTEP, Jim center. Front and center is uh, back with us. Good to see you. Uh, hard to believe we only have two games left in the basketball season, the regular season, uh, and that just shows you how how things have flown by here in the twenty one twenty two athletic campaign.
5: Boy, it's really gone fast, Steve. I, I was I was just thinking about that the other day. That gosh, when it was before we played our last home game, you know, against UAB, like golly, we're we're almost done, yep. you know, and and we'll get these last two in, and then we'll go on to the tournament. But uh, you're right, the season has
0: absolutely flown by. I know it. Um, And yet it's interesting, too, in the sense that uh, Saturday night, and I wrote about this on our website, uh, Jim, that the crowd felt to me about as alive as I've experienced over the last three, four, five years. I mean, it just it was it was it was loud. The fans were engaged. The students showed up. Um, it, it felt like a home court advantage again, and and let's be honest, we haven't had that a, a lot over the uh, over the last few seasons. We've had the crowd make noise for what we had in terms of what the four, four, 5,000 fans that have attended, but Saturday yeah. just felt a little different, didn't it? Uh, absolutely, and and you know, you and I were talking at the break there about what it would be
5: like, and and I said I can't wait to experience the Don Haskins Center with a full house, right? Uh, 11, 10, 11, 12,000 folks. Yeah. It must be absolutely magical to be in that environment, in that venue, when, when our crowd is into it, but just put another three, four, five thousand 4, 5,000 bodies in there like we had on Saturday. Our fans kept us in the game. They responded real well. We had a great, uh, great uh, a bunch of uh, faculty and staff that showed out. The students showed out. Ne- next to the New Mexico State game, we had the most students of any game that we've had. And uh, it, it was it was really pretty special. And you know when your fans show up and they're into it and they help your team, your team will play better. And we and we all know that. And we've said that before. And that's where fans
0: can truly make a difference. Every person makes a difference, Steve. You've said that since you arrived. That that was really your your rallying cry since you you got here. And and obviously staying with that now. I also think that fans are buying into what they're seeing with the program because they've seen a team that a lot of us have said are getting the most out of their talent, and I think that that's really important when you start to look at what this group is doing. You feel like the players are playing to the to the full extent of their ability, and they give you everything they have. And you know, one thing I'll say about El Paso fans—they appreciate that. And when word gets out that they got a team that hustles, uh, plays both ends of the court, and 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 really lays it on the line night in, night out, the fans are going to respond. It's a shame that it's taken, you know, the last few games of the season to really get that going. But, hey, that's just the reality of the situation. Yeah, it, it sure is. You, you
5: know, it's pretty neat, I think, when you watch, uh, when one of our players takes a charge, right, and and, and they get that call, our bench erupts. Mm-hmm. And so what you're seeing is... Student athletes responding to the way that they're being coached and the way that the coaching staff is prodding them and demanding that they play right we're going to be tough we're going to take charges uh, and, and, and when you see a guy like Sule Boom who I just think is terrific basketball player, he's so talented but there was that one time when he we, we, they were across from the, the visitors' bench and the ball was kind of loose and out there and he was laying out vertically right all six three of them laying out vertically in midair trying to get the ball and steal it right and they're grappling around on the, on the ground. And on the court yeah. and i'm just like wow you don't see that very often out of a kid playing like that with that reckless abandon with their body and uh, and, and our, our fans love it i love it i mean you, you can tell when someone's playing hard or faking
0: i've always said and and i and people have listened to me for forever understand this too this is a very sophisticated fan base and that's just because they experienced uh, an era some 30-plus years ago, where this team was in the top 25. They were hanging banners year after year, winning the WAC championship, going to the NCAA tournament. This community knows what it's like to see winning basketball. Now, I'll preface that by saying everybody in that conversation has to be about 40 or over, because that's (laughs) about the age that if you were a kid growing up in the 80s, you'd be today. Um, and, And I feel bad, really, for those that are either new to this community, like yourself that's lived in the last five years or so, or are in their 20s or 30s, and they have to hear from their family members or friends what it was like when yeah. the building was being sold out on a regular basis and fans were watching these classic rivalries that sometimes you can, re- you can enjoy again on YouTube. Yeah, no, you're exactly right, Stephen. And actually, you know, when you think
5: about it, um, it, when you talked about the 80s, so let's just say you're going with your folks somewhere between 5 and 10 years old yeah. in the 80s, that means you're probably 50 or 55 now, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and, and so that was a long time ago. Yeah. I mean, people don't even think about that. When people have a selective memory when they say, you know, back when I was going or when I was in school and they realize. Yeah, back when you were in school, there were three TV stations, right? Sure. And and there wasn't a cell phone and the internet and just everything wasn't streamed. It's amazing how how time flies and people don't realize it because we all kind of remember those iconic moments. But it's 100%. been a long time since we've had that kind of
0: uh, following and and passionate fan base that's been in the arena. To put it into better perspective, I was let's see, I was eighteen. I was on my way back to my freshman year at UT on a plane. The last time UTEP won a tournament game, which was when they beat Kansas, to go to the Sweet 16 in 1992. Wow. And what's even crazier is I'll be 49 in May, and that was 30 years ago this month. So that – I mean, if if that doesn't yeah. blow your mind when you think it's been 30 years since this teams won a tournament game and, and went to the Sweet 16, and this is the 30th anniversary, that's that to me, that absolutely blows my yeah. mind.
5: Yeah, yeah. No, there, there's no question. So you know, as we look at at uh, at Joe Golding and what he's done in year one, and uh, you know he he had to recruit. You know he got here. What was it, mid-April or something mm-hmm. like that? And he had to recruit six or seven new players. And we lost a, a very, very talented uh, young man and Bryson Williams who went to Texas Tech. And so he really was fighting uphill battle just trying to put a team together. And what he, I think he's got as much as he could possibly get out of those, those kids, and they've responded well. And uh, now I'm excited to see how do we evolve and go to the next level since he's had 12 months to, the, to, to
0: recruit. I'm with you. And, and you said you want to see a sold-out crowd. Adrian wants to see a sold-out crowd because he's got to listen to his dad tell him what it was like when I was just talking about those years.
1: Uh, that's exactly right. And, and I mean, I, I was never around. I, Jim, the last time I remember the sold-out crowd was the 50th anniversary of the 1966 uh, Texas Western National Championship game, which when you see a sold-out uh, Haskins Center, it's just such a special moment. I mean, for everybody involved. You get to see all the fans out there, and they all show up, and uh, it's everybody being so excited to just be a minor or just you know, celebrate the minors for that game.
5: Yep. No, absolutely, Adrian. And, you know, I know that uh, you guys have been around here and lived here and grown up in El Paso. You've got lots of institutional knowledge and history and memory, and that's what we want to capitalize on. We've got to get back to that.
0: Absolutely right. Uh, Meanwhile, you've got a home game tomorrow night. Rice is in town. Uh, last time UTEP played Rice, they won by two on the road, and that was when um, Jamal Biennemi dropped 36 on them in that game. And then Saturday, you've got North Texas. It's senior night, and next thing you know, you're off uh, next week into Frisco to watch the Conference USA tournament, just like that. Yeah, it's 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 upon us. You, you know, and I, I, I think –
5: Unfortunately, lots of people look at Rice and go, "Well, you know, who's Rice? Rice's never been very good." But Rice has got a very, very good team. We all know that. I mean, they're they're very, very competitive. They could they could beat anybody. I think that in a lot of ways, there's a lot of parity in our league this year. And now it seems to be like there's there's better teams on the West Division than there are the East. But I can't wait to get to the tournament
0: on a neutral court because I think anything could happen. I really do. I'm with you on that one. And I think that as long as his team is healthy. Uh, it, it's you know all bets are off and yeah. you know we've seen that we've seen them play competitive games on the road we've seen them play tough at home and you, you know they're going to give you everything they have which again is, is what it's all about you hope that that same philosophy can happen with the women because again uh, this season has been much more difficult for Kevin Baker and company to try to navigate right. through in in conference play than really uh, it, it's been for Joe Golding.
5: Yeah, I, I know. I, I feel bad for Coach Baker. I know he's somewhat frustrated and and hasn't been able to get his team to to to, to capitalize, you know, on their season the way we all thought he would at the start of the season. Um, you know, we, we've been a little bit beat up. I, I think you never know. You know, everything is is about flow. It's just like games. It's about flow, right, and making runs. And uh, we're we're not we're not going in the right direction. Unfortunately, our women's team isn't at this time of the year when you really want to be getting better and better and better, right? Uh, and so all fourteen teams are going to go to the tournament, and uh, hopefully we can get out of our funk that we happen to be in with women's basketball right now. We've got lots of good kids, and and they're trying, but it just didn't it just didn't gel in working force right now.
0: No, not yet. But then again, in Frisco, clean slate doesn't matter what. And hey, we've seen teams that play-in get hot and we'll go and run the table in the wind so it's possible we know what this talent is about you just wonder can you click at the right time and do it when you need it in mid uh, in early to mid-march that's all
5: no you're you're exactly right so it's exciting Uh, it's going to be a good tournament and uh, i think anything could happen we may have some really big upsets
0: you put together a ticket special for saturday where any ticket that is not in the gold or silver section priced at 10 bucks, And we've seen with the other ticket specials over the last couple of home games, fans respond. So obviously your numbers are starting to go up a little bit. Hey, why not keep doing what's working with you and uh, trying to you know, get as many fans there as you can over these last couple of games? Yeah, we'll continue to do that.
5: Obviously, this will be the conclusion of the season. And so we'll look at that. And we've done other things prior to this. I think there's a lot of misconceptions about our tickets and ticket pricing out there. Um, but we're, we're, we're studying all that stuff and looking at it and we'll come in sometime and share it with you. And, and uh, so you guys have
0: got a better understanding of how it all works. I would love that. And, and I'll tell you what, I think our fans would too, because our listeners, one thing they know is this, as, as they start to learn how this whole process goes and they get a better understanding of it, uh, it'll make more sense to them. And then they can kind of see it from the university standpoint. Um, I'll say this, uh, again, as we've looked at the fans starting to arrive and, and watch this team play, um, To me, getting the fans back is one thing. Getting the students back is a totally different animal. And what I saw Saturday was, I saw, as you mentioned, the largest student group since New Mexico State. And that's a free ticket, Jim. Mm -hmm. So... You know, we could talk all we want about the cost of individual tickets and what that's like. But when you're the student, you hope that they will continue to come back in large numbers this year, next year, and, and really start to bring that home court advantage back to the university. There is no question that when our students show up for any event – they
5: add energy. The, the, the venue becomes electric. because they, and, and, our, and our regular fans feed off of that. Mm-hmm. Like, I remember watching on Saturday when the student section had, um, they had the big UTEP flag out there, right? Yeah. And it was rippling. It took up about half of a section. Man, every, I was watching the crowd. I wasn't necessarily watching the flag. I was watching the crowd. Everybody was riveted on what are the students doing. Oh, that's cool. I like that. Oh, we got to see some more of that. And and that's the energy that our students could bring. We got a lot of people working on that, trying to get our kids more involved and and more passionate about our product.
0: How did you do it? How did you get the students to show up for UAB and ultimately bring that kind of energy? Because there has to be some secret sauce or formula. What'd you do? Well, I got to tell you, I
5: got to give a lot of credit. To, to Gary Eden's shop, uh, Katie McCory antelis and her team, uh, Charlene. There, there's a group of about 8 to 12 people that meet on a weekly basis, and we're trying all these different things. So we've got a group of student leaders that were that, with the Student Government Association. We have a whole group of student interns that are working. So th- this thought that the more people we have saying, hey, listen, I want 100 of my closest friends to come, uh, and, and, and they bring their 100 f- friends, so it's almost like a grassroots effort. Uh, and so, like you said, the tickets are free. They're already paid for. Yeah. We just got to figure out how to get them off of their couch, out of their living rooms, uh, and doing whatever they're doing to come, to come spend time at a, at a minor basketball game. Obviously, it helps when, when you're winning. Sure, it okay? does. And so, hopefully, everybody that came to the game on Saturday is looking at that going, man, that was entertaining. That was, I, I found value in being there, and it was a good experience. But how do we get them to come back for Thursday night for the
0: Rice game? How do we get them to come back on Saturday again? right that's the challenge especially when there are so many choices now correct. for them there's more choices of things to do now than ever before when you're a college uh, when you're a college student that's correct you're exactly right steve all right 16 past Jim center with us front and center come back with more in a moment but first let's go to charlie one he's got a traffic update Jim Center, Director of Athletics for UTEP, uh, stopping by our 600 ESPN El Paso Lubingo studio. If you want to get into the program right now, 880-5763 is our telephone number, 880-5763. You can also tweet the show at 600 ESPN El Paso. In fact, a couple of tweets from last hour once we mentioned you were on your way here. Uh, Here are a couple of questions. Jose uh, wants to know, to please ask Jim about any upcoming projects, facilities, or additional sports in the works. And uh, that was what Jose was interested in. So projects, facilities, or any additional sports in the works. Yeah. Well, I tell you, we've been working on a feasibility
5: study with an architectural firm uh, to, to look at what we could do with the Larry K. Durham Center and uh, something that would expand that and also... Uh, help us with all sports right so so we don't have a single sport that doesn't have a need or something that they would like to do and we're we're looking at something there and we're hopeful that uh, we're going to get some some good feedback from that um, hopefully sometime in the next 30-60 days we'll have something we can look at and have a have a sense on is this is this feasible with all projects right now Steve I would tell you it is just crazy. If anybody hasn't gone to, you know, Home Depot and bought a, a stick of wood or a piece of plywood, you ought to go do it. Uh, it's, it's 100 to 200% higher than it's ever been. Yeah. So uh, right now probably isn't the best time to try to go do a project because of the exorbitant cost and inflation. But nonetheless, we want to keep looking at what we can do to expand there. We, uh, obviously, we just got done doing the women's softball turf project, which was about $380,000. And uh, we're going to be working on uh, finding a home for our for our beach volleyball program, and so we're meeting with with facilities and campus on the different locations that we think we can do that and, uh, and pull it off so we've got a lot of different things going on like that, um, but it, it's it's really about once you identify something then you've got to find people that can go out and help you raise the money from. so we
0: need a donor or a prospect pool. more questions coming in: Miner in Wisconsin has this for us. Does Mr. Center have any insight into a possible 10th school for CUSA and when that might happen? Also, when will we see the real 2022 football schedule? Well, right now, as far as Conference USA is
5: concerned, you're looking at the real football schedule. Uh, I think everybody is reading and seeing the same things that I'm reading and seeing, and that is uh, that we're certainly uh, not on the same page. With the three institutions have said that they want to leave. Correct. And Conference USA is working through the legal process and procedures uh, to ensure that they stay with us in uh, and, and honor their contracts. And um, you know, so so we'll see. You know, like anything that that, that becomes uh, litigious or or requires mediation or arbitration. Everybody's, everybody's looking at it from their perspective, right? And I don't, I don't care what it is, but uh, obviously those schools are looking at it from their perspective and what they believe is best for them. And, 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 uh, and our conference is looking at it as what's best for our conference and, and, uh, and, and the contract and the bylaws that we have. So it'll be interesting. So right now we're moving forward as, as if the 11-game or the 12-game schedule that we
0: have in the conference schedule is going to be what we're going to have. Um, as far as that goes, you have to book charters. Uh, you have to book hotels. Old Dominion in Norfolk, Virginia, is not a cheap trip. That is on the list the week after the Southern Miss game in October. Uh, so from your perspective as the school, when do you really start to look into booking all those travel arrangements? Because if it's not going to happen, it'd be nice. It would behoove the school, the university, if they were to give uh, the Alternative schedule if there's going to be 11 instead of 14 teams.
5: Well, I, I can I can tell you right now we're working on them. I was talking with Nate Poss this afternoon in his office. He's our director of football operations, and he's in the process right now of booking hotels. and uh, and, and Anthony travels working with us on uh, charter flights. Uh, and so, what, what we want to try to schedule there is, particularly w- with those two games that we have on the schedule that could be uh, in flux if something were to were to go against the conference, uh, we've got to have an out clause or some way we can sure. try to get out of the contract and and do something different. But we're working on all those things right now. So, that's that's the current football schedule. And then the question was asked about uh, whether or not we'll we'll have a tenth team. Uh, that's being hotly debated amongst uh, all the ADs that are going to be left in the conference. So there's five of us. And then it, it is also being discussed with the four that are going to be coming into the conference with us. Okay, so that'll give us a total of nine. There's pros and cons of why you would want to do one versus the other. So as an example, Right now, if you just do it for football, uh, because we're one of the nine, then you have eight schools, you play everybody, exactly right? and four on the road and four four at home. Very so even. it's a
0: very even, very easy thing to do. Probably the greatest advantage would just stay with nine for football.
5: I, I totally get that. that. That's exactly right. So then the next thing is you go, well, if you just stay with that, it's not as handy uh, for basketball scheduling, right? Because you can't really do travel partners. Mm-hmm. And so you're always, a, you're always one team too many. Uh, when, you, when you do traveling. So there's, there's a group of us that think that there may be some value in, in having a ten team uh, that does it all and uh, is, is in all sports. The other thing that could be a possibility is look at some school that doesn't have football and just add them for basketball, yeah. right? But with every one of those decisions, uh, we too have to look at the, the bucket of money that, that we all pull together that comes from uh, our, our media rights, right? Championships and the bowl games and go, well, if we take somebody, do they add anything to the pot or do we have to split up more money with somebody else who doesn't add anything, 100%. Just, right? So that, that
0: those are some of the dynamics. For you personally, do you have a, a, a stance of where you would like to see it go when it's all said and done? And it might not be the same as all the others, but where do you where do you fall in this discussion? Yeah, well, what, I, basically, I would reiterate the
5: same thing I just got done talking about. I see the pros and cons of both, and so I, I think part of this is uh, getting a good feel for what everybody in our in our conference wants sure. uh, because it's really not about just me or UTEP. It's really about what's best for our league and all of us collectively uh, it, it, because of the harmony that we need, particularly in a, in a transition. So there's a part of me thinks that there's a lot of value in adding a 10th school in all sports. And part of the reason why I say that is because If we were to lose anybody else, it it gives us a little bit of a cushion, right? If we stay at 9, you lose somebody, now all of a sudden you're down to 8. Now we're all of a sudden looking
0: around, you know, America looking for another program to add. Do you have any idea... If CUSA created an alternate football schedule for 2022 with 11 instead of 14, using the foresight to say, look, if this gets too messy and too sticky, we don't want to put the existing 11 schools in a really tough spot. Instead, we'll give ourselves a certain amount of time. And if it doesn't happen by then, hey, we're just going to pivot and make sure that we don't have a very upset 11 for 2022. Yeah. Steve, I can't comment on that. I I haven't seen anything and I'm not aware that one has been created. I, I would highly doubt it. Okay. Alright, well maybe you just have that out clause like you mentioned, so if you have to get another game during those dates you could possibly do it. Right.
5: And, and and I'm sure, I mean obviously I'm I'm sure our commissioner and those folks are, are also very, very wise and know that if this thing does fall apart and, and rulings go against us they're going to have to do something and do it very, very quickly.
0: Exactly.
1: Jim, do you think that next week could be a little awkward at the conference tournament knowing that some, I mean not from the UTEP perspective, right? Because UTEP's in a good place with Conference USA, but you're looking at Marshall, Southern Miss, if those athletic directors or representatives go is that is that awkward at all?
5: Well it I I can tell you, everybody's a professional, and while they're all just looking out for their institution, uh, I I think there's a lot of collegiality that we have. There there is there is no bad blood between the athletic directors. There's just ADs trying to do the very very best job they can on behalf of their school. The other thing is, just because you're the AD, doesn't mean you're the one making those decisions, right? There's a whole lot of people. Your board of governors, your president, that's weighing in, telling you we're going to do this or that. So uh, we all understand that, and so we'll have we'll have good meetings. We'll have a good tournament. And uh, now, don't, miss, don't mistake, we would love to be able to beat all those people that are leaving us, exactly. right? They're kind of like, oh, okay, sure. go ahead, right off into the sunset. And, and I'm sure they'd like to do the same thing to us. But, uh, but, I, but I can just tell you— the collegiality that we have, and the respect that we have for each other, in the jobs that we have to do, uh, it won't be awkward.
0: All right, that's good to hear. If I was Judy McLeod, just take the money and run. Let them go. They're going to leave anyway. They want out early. Let them go. Get the extra money. You're going to the conference. Could use it, and then navigate through the eleven as you get ready for the uh, 2023 season, and suddenly go from five to nine. That's what I would do because there can't be anything worse than a, a messy legal dispute that ultimately. He's going to cost the conference money for legal fees. When if the schools want to pay to get out early, let them out. You know, let yeah. them go. That's that's what I would do. Yeah.
5: Well, there'll be some more commission jobs open, Steve, and you can go after one of those. Thank you. I appreciate that. I'm
0: looking looking forward to it. Oh, my goodness. All right. Hey, uh, more with Jim Center as we continue bottom of the hour. Football just got started this week with spring ball. We'll talk about that and softball and everything else happening. But first, right back to Adrian in this bottom of the hour Sports Center update. Thank you very much. We appreciate you, uh, as always, as uh, again. Jim Center here with us. If you have any questions for UTEP's athletic director, now is the time to get in. 880-5763. That is our telephone number as we continue. I got to tell you something about the Haskins Center because, you know, I-, I was sitting in the arena Saturday night talking about the arena with some friends, and I've been going to games since 79, okay? So 40, what, 43 years, right? And it's crazy to think about this, and I'm sure fans are going to disagree with me when I say this, but that arena for being 40 now, 46, 47 years old, has stood up so well to the test of time. Part of me would love to see renovations because, yeah, if you could add suites and and, uh, club seating and sky and all that stuff, I get that. But I also think that considering the other arenas I've traveled over the years doing CUSA games and being a part of UTEP women's basketball and some of the other places I've traveled to, Jim, the Don Haskins Center... For whatever reason, it is still one of these arenas that 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 doesn't feel outdated, and maybe it's because I've I've been to games for so many years, and it's and it's home, but. I don't feel like it's, it's, a, it's a dinosaur that's in need of something that needs to change to be up with some of the other arenas around the rest of Conference USA, around the rest of college sports.
5: Well, I certainly think it, it, it's one of the better ones in Conference USA, right? And I've met all of them, but, but I just know that it is based on the, the number of seats. And, and and obviously it's a tough place to play, so there's a lot of history there and the nostalgia that you feel when you're in there, uh, particularly like you talk about you know, going there as a young boy uh, with your dad and stuff. So, uh, I th- there are amenities that fans are expecting in venues nowadays, though. One hundred percent concessions, uh, uh, restroom facilities, uh, premium seating areas, boxes, those kinds of things. Uh, access, ingress, egress are all parts of the experience, right? Um, and, and and frankly, it is dated and it needs work. And we're going to have to spend some money there sooner or later. Uh, you, you know, but it'll get a lot easier if we pack the place and
0: uh, and we have a lot of people and in, uh, in, in, in we can generate some more revenue to do it. But since it's been so many years, since games have sold out here, okay, and we just talked about that, we brought you on, that also leads me to believe that if you make renovations, and let's just say attendance gets slashed from 11,000 plus like it is now to eight, for example, that's kind of where we're at these days in college sports. Smaller, more intimate facilities with bells and whistles because right. you know it's much more difficult now to put 12,000 in the Haskins Center than it was 30 years ago. Yeah. No no question. And and that's why Texas new stadium is about 10,000, mm-hmm. right?
5: Baylor's brand new stadium, they're building 7,000 seats. Yep. Gonzaga is 6,000, right? And I think they might have started out around 4,500, 4,200. So you're right, Steve. People are downsizing their stadiums and they're trying to add all the goodies, the bells and whistles, charge a higher price point for all the tickets, right? Because there's less, there's less seats, but they're better seats
0: in yep. lots of different ways. You're right. We see it with Major League Baseball stadiums. Look at the yeah. newer ballparks and how they're now in the 30s and 40s versus. 50s, 60s, and plus what they used to do back when yep. the uh, cookie-cutter ballparks came out in the 70s. Yep, so you're exactly right. I'm with you. Now, as far as timeline goes, because you mentioned the Durham Center, how far off do you think we are from the Haskins Center renovations? Best-case scenario if everything went well.
5: Well, you know what? I, I don't really want to put a time frame
0: on there. And, and the reason why I say
5: that is um, we, we are focused right now, on On the Larry K. Durham Center, mm-hmm. and what we can do that will help football. We have got to get football where it competes at a high level, right? So we great. We had we finally had a breakthrough season. Coach Dimmel and his staff did a terrific job. The challenge for us now is putting another season like that on top of this one and doing it for a third year and a fourth year. And that's how we're going to build a base of our support back, right? But we also have to do things. I mean, nothing's been done to the Larry K. Durham Center like the football locker room in 20 years. Yeah, that's a problem. It's dated. It is. And and those are the kinds of things. If we don't do it, we're never going to get any better in football or sustain winning in football.
0: 100% right. Are we ever going to see the dungeon locker rooms updated?
5: Uh, You're talking about at the north end of the—or, excuse me, the south end of the the Sun Bowl. A hundred percent correct. Uh, Sooner or later, yes, we will be able to address that. Okay,
0: that would be good. And the only reason I bring that up is, um, you know, once a year— we do have a major uh, football game and hopefully you know maybe the sun bowl association will kick in some dollars for that since for them it's as, it's as important as it would be for you and the opponents because really there's two schools that use those locker rooms as opposed to Utep really n- not needing the um you know the lockers as much as the opposition because they have their facility with the Durham Center that yeah. they use. Well, so. there, there's, there's
5: no question. I, I mean, we have six home games a
0: year, generally, and, uh, and
5: the visiting team needs to be treated respectfully and have the kind of services that they need in those uh, and, and not, not feel you know like it's as bad as it is. And then there's the two visiting teams that come for the Sun Bowl. But really, our own football team, really, it's less than six hours for an entire year that they're
0: using that facility. Exactly right. Yeah. Um, now, speaking of football, spring ball just got started. Yeah. Uh, excited about that. Um, It's funny. So, yesterday we had Troy Aikman on the show, and he spent about 20 minutes with us. And we had a long talk about Babe Loffenberg, Luke, and UTEP. Mm -hmm. And Troy went into uh, a pretty good answer about how he's a UTEP fan because of Babe and Luke, and how it's now a school he's really behind, and, and he wants to help out as much as possible. Yeah. You've got Gavin Hardison wearing the number two jersey in honor of Luke. Yesterday, Gavin gets a call from Aikman. Then he gets a call from Roger Staubach. Wow, not a bad not a bad day if you're number two and you realize what's going into the number, the name, and and ultimately the the job he gets uh, now to carry that tradition on. Yeah, a- absolutely. I actually I had not heard that, Steve. So that is really a cool
5: story. And and uh, at our recent Scholarship Society uh, donor dinner that we had, I talked about you know Justin Garrett wearing number two, and it's very rare that a young person will give up the opportunity to receive the kind of accolades, name recognition, right, their props uh, f- on, on behalf of somebody else. So it says a lot about Justin Garrett. And then when I found out that, that Gavin was going to do that, I'm just like, wow, how cool that our quarterback, mm-hmm. right, who would normally say it's all about me, my number, my name, to say I, too, want to represent uh, what, what Luke stood for. Absolutely. Very, very cool.
1: Jim I want to ask you about you know talking about football Uh, they lost it's no secret they lost their best player in Jacob Cowing this past year Uh, basketball lost their best player in Bryson Williams uh, in March of last year is there any anything or any solution to try to keep the best player here in El Paso and and at UTEP I know it's tough this is a tough question but uh, is there any anything that they could do?
5: well it's it's a question uh it, it it's a terrific question, and one that we continue to ask what could we do different i I don't know that it's going to change. I think you'll see really, really good players continue to leave. Uh, because there's other opportunities. And that was, we, we've entered collegiate free agency is really where we're at. And players will will leave for lots of different reasons. It could be family. It could be playing time. It could be more recognition. And now we have this ugly
0: well, – NIL. Say ugly.
5: Uh, <laughs> we have this dynamic of NIL. It's ugly. Don't,
1: don't, down that, don't sugarcoat it. It is ugly yeah. for a it, lot of reasons. Because people recruit against it. Yeah, it is ugly. Yeah, well, and,
5: and, it, and it was not meant – to be a pay-for-play type of scenario. It was meant for every student to be able to have the same opportunity to monetize their name, image, and likeness, yes. even if you're a student athlete. But that's not what's happening. What's really happening is it's a pay-for-play recruitment tool. And that's why I think you'll continue to see good players leave exactly. for opportunities like that.
0: hundred percent. It's already started, and it's just going to continue to evolve. Yeah. And, it's, and, it, and, you're right. and it's going to hurt the little guys more than anybody because they're just not going to be able to keep up with the Power Fives and the group of, and, the, and the majors, for that matter. That's right. So. When we come back, we'll wrap up the hour. We're flying by here with uh, Jim Center. You've got about 20 minutes to get into the show if you want to right now. eight eight zero five seven six three. as Sports Talk continues. <laughs> 48 past the hour as we continue here with Jim Center. Director of Athletics for UTEP eight eight zero five seven six three is our telephone number. If you'd like to get in on the program right now, don't forget coming up in our six o'clock hour, Kurt Gross from Powerable Bats is going to be with us, and we're going to talk to Kurt about how he's been handling uh, spring training without the big leaguers. He's been he's still delivering bats. He's got players that are going to be using them, but. Unfortunately, there's no big leaguers right now to take those swings inside uh, big, you know, big league spring training complex. So we'll talk to Kurt about that uh, coming up here in our 6 o'clock hour. In the meantime, Jim Center is uh, with us right now. Softball's underway. It's the... Uh, you know the start of the spring campaign now we 're right around the corner football 's already in their spring ball we 've got track and field as well with outdoor competition, so there 's a lot going on right now still isn 't there there there
5: is you know in, in fact here in ten minutes uh, the the New Mexico state aggies and the uh, the miners are going to be hit, hitting the uh, the diamond there you know in softball over in las cruces mm-hmm. and so I want to wish t j and our, our women 's softball team good luck tonight as they take on the Aggies in a battle of i ten. You know, men's and women's golf are all, are also in season and going full steam ahead. We've had some good outings there. Our women's tennis program is is, is going, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, we, there's a lot going on. It seems like we're getting closer to the end, and spring just came,
0: and uh, but golly, it feels like we're we're right in the middle of the thick of things. How about in terms of uh, fundraising for you? Is as I mean, it's we're, we're in uh, just the beginning of March, so we're two months into twenty twenty two. How is twenty twenty one as far as uh, fundraising? Was that was it a good year for you? Excellent. So we we had a really good year. And what I can tell you is,
5: I mean, our, our counter is kind of unique in, in what we count because of the fiscal year versus the calendar year and, and all these different things. And then there's the renewals and the ticket donations associated with all that. But right now, we're about 500,000 ahead of this same time last year. So that, that's a very, very good thing. Uh, and we feel like it's going to keep getting better and better. As our programs do better, uh, more and more people are going to come out, get back involved, and, uh, and support our program. So I'm really, I'm really bullish on the future.
0: And I'm sure for you, creating new donors is the biggest thing, whether it's business owners, regular, uh, you know, average Joes. It doesn't really matter who they are. As long as there's somebody that's supporting for the first time, that's a, that, that's a pretty big deal for a university right it, now.
5: It's a big deal because the, the truth is we won't be able to survive long term unless we keep adding new donors, new ticket holders, right? We've got to grow our base. If we have 2,000 dyed-in-the-wool folks, then by the end of next year, we need to be at three. And the year after that, we need to be at four. We've got to keep growing. All right. I don't know what single business owner on the planet who doesn't, say, who doesn't say every single year, how do we get more people to buy our product, right? How do we become more profitable? Because if you're going to be in the business uh, and, and you're a for-profit entity, then that's how you get more profitable. You sell more product. You sell the
0: product you have for more money, Right. Exactly. However, you also know that in 2022 there is more competition for the dollar than ever before. There True. are more things to do than ever before, and that's what really means that you guys have to keep reinventing the wheel and trying to find ways, creative ways, to get people to want to support, attend, and uh, become uh, become minor fans. No, you're
5: you're exactly correct. And what I would say is part of how we do that is to win and win more consistently so that there's energy around our program, right? Uh, and and we, we certainly have got to be great marketers, and we've got to figure out what the sweet spot is. And uh, d- just like every person, I'm, I'm sure every restaurant owner right now, when you think about the rising cost of things, are, are continuing looking at, gosh, should we charge a little bit more, mm-hmm. right? I mean, the, the cost of food products are being passed on to us. The cost of uh, labor is being passed on to us. So we have those same pressures, Right. How are we going to stay in business if we don't sell our product for more or sell more of it? So everybody's dealing with this. And it's not it's not foolproof. Right. We we make mistakes.
1: Jim, what can business owners do? I mean, you just talked about them referencing. What could they do to help support this athletic department?
5: Well, you know, there's several different things that don't even cost any money. They could put, you could, they could put things up on their marquee that says go Miners. Or, you know, I mean, right now our softball team is playing in New Mexico State. You know, Miners beat the Aggies, women's softball. Uh, th- so you could do something like that. It doesn't cost a nickel. Your, your folks. You could ask your folks to wear minor gear when they're serving and being in their business or whatever they're doing. So there's things like that. Uh, certainly, we would like businesses in El Paso to support us by buying season tickets, by, uh, by being a sponsor uh, with, with Van Wagner and, and, and being a partner of ours, just like you guys have partners and, and sponsors and advertisers. Um, we would love for them to become donors and to help us support the $4.5 million scholarship bill annually. So uh, the the same things that we ask individuals, but businesses, they have the ability oftentimes to reach more people than an individual
0: wouldn't. Exactly. Um, As far as premium seating areas at the Sun Bowl, from what you uh, unveiled a couple of years ago, how have those done when you look at the new areas?
5: Yeah, they've they've done well. We have a waiting list for all the loge boxes. All the suites are full. Uh, We have about 50 percent of the indoor club seats in the Hunt Family Sky Lounge that are still available, Uh, and and those have been very, very well received. The uh, the outdoor club area is the area that we probably have the greatest growth potential. Mm-hmm. And as we as we keep getting our football enterprise back and playing at a higher level more competitively and win more games,
0: I think we'll see most of those areas fill up here in the next year or two. I think that's terrific. And again, tomorrow night you have Rice. Saturday you have North Texas. Last two chances before Frisco to go watch the UTEB basketball team. Yep. And then uh, it's on to the tournament. That's correct. And, and, I, and I would just,
5: uh, you know, if you're a minor fan and you're listening to the broadcast here with Steve and Uh, And Adrian, I, I would encourage you to come out, buy a ticket, come support this team, Senior Day. We've got some good kids in our program. I think you'll be very, very pleased. If you haven't seen us play yet, you'll be very, very pleased at how hard these young men play uh, and, and because they, they lay it all on the line. And Joe and his staff coach their tails off. Will we win? I can't promise you that, but I know this. You'll be entertained, and you'll see
0: a team that plays really, really hard. Great to see you. Thanks for spending the last hour yeah, with us, my, my pleasure. Thanks, Steve. Jim Center, folks. We'll talk some baseball and baseball bats coming up as Sports Talk continues. All right, here we go, folks. Start of our final hour on Sports Talk as we continue, along with Adrian Broaddus, I'm Steve Kaplowitz. Look who's back with us in our Lubingo studios. Mr. Powerable Bat Company himself, Kurt Gross, as, uh, yes, we have no uh, Major League Baseball with the lockout. But there is a bunch of minor leaguers that have showed up to spring training complexes all around baseball, not to mention big league teams are still ordering their bats because when this labor agreement does get done, they are going to need some sticks for their uh, big leaguers to start swinging as they try to ramp things up to get the 2022 season started. Welcome back to the show. How you been? I've been great. Thanks. Thanks for having me back. Thanks for being back with us. It's been a while since we've had you in the St- Lubingo studios. So catch me up on uh, maybe the last six months or so of what we've missed from Power Bull and, and, and how 2021 was for you and, and, and the company.
6: Yeah, 2021 was great. I mean, uh, it, it's good to be back in the studio with you. Um, we've been busy making uh, a bunch of bats, um, You know, navigating COVID in 2020, then um, you know, a big thing for us is to get in the clubhouses during spring training. Uh, COVID took that away from us as well, so that made it tougher last season. But it was a good year, and we see our bats um, uh, expanding in MLB and minor league baseball. Uh, we were in the Olympics with the uh, the Israeli Olympic team. That That's was right. a lot of fun. That was a big highlight for us last year for sure. Um, and then, you know, obviously the lockout now and, and, you know, dealing with that yesterday was a was a – bad day, you know, all around the sport and, um, you know, just hoping we can get to a resolution quickly and uh, it was great uh, listening to your interview earlier with with Jay Jaffe and and he did a great job kind of recapping everything and I think think we all feel the same way, you know, let's just get it done um, and and move on, so hopefully we'll have baseball soon.
0: I would agree with you on that. Now for people wondering, um, ever since you got your Major League Baseball license and ultimately been producing bats for big leaguers and in minor leaguers first off how many different models of bats are there that you are currently producing right now
6: yeah it's a it's a great question we have in the shop between i would say about 175 175- um, we haven't counted them recently, but it's, it's crazy. It's just like anything else in, in today's world. It's all about personalization. And, you know, you take a, a, a half a millimeter off here, or a half a millimeter off there, and, and it's a different model and everybody wants their own model. So, um, th- there's a lot of that. Um, but we still make a, a, a lot of the classic models too. And, um, you know, a lot of the top prospects, um, they like their, those classic models. That's what they, they've uh, swung for a long time. And, um, so we, it's, it, it's a balance of the classics and then, you know, the the, the new combos or, or maybe even putting two classic com, uh, models together to make their own. So we're doing a lot of that too.
0: How many years now uh, has Powerball been in business? As far as uh, just not, let's let's let's. It's a two-part question. So, when the company started versus when you got the big league license and you started to be able to produce bats for for major
6: leaguers. Yeah. So Powerball started uh, with my partner Raul Salazar in uh, two thousand three. Um, and made a lot of bats for professionals in Mexico, uh, in Liga Mexicana, Liga Pacifico, and then this will be our fourth season with our MLB license here. So we brought it to El Paso in 2018 and have been growing steadily since. Um, you know, we jumped right in with our MLB license when we, once we moved here to the United States, and uh, and really haven't haven't looked back. How many years does it take to firmly establish yourself and
0: and? You're never going to be Louisville Slugger yeah. um, and and some of the other companies out there. But I look at, ultimately, some of these bats that started out just like yours. Hey, Sam Bat was made by a guy in Canada. The next thing you know, Barry Bonds starts swinging it, and it becomes one of the hottest, most sought-after bats in the business. So all it takes is one— and uh, you know you start to look about how it can how it can change the whole
6: landscape of the company. That's exactly it. And Sam Bat did a great job. I mean, they introduced maple to the maple bat to the to to baseball, and that really changed changed baseball in regards to the type of wood people use. Now ninety percent of all big leaguers swing maple bats. Um, you know, we see an emerging market in birch, so we make a lot of birch bats too. But um, still, about eighty five to ninety percent of our our bats are are maple, and um, you know, it's it's a it's a challenging environment, and, and things have changed. But you're right; it only takes one one superstar or one emerging guy to, to either make it big himself or do something special with yeah. with the bat.
0: Is there any new wood out there that has never been used for a baseball bat that could become the new maple of uh, of the next generation of baseball players? You
6: know, I, I, I'm not sure. So MLB controls all of that, right? So they have to test, uh, do a series of tests, and, and I would say it's probably years in the making of approving a species of wood. Um, I'm not sure to answer your question, but I get a lot of calls from people around El Paso or whatever. It's like, hey, I had a tree that was knocked down in my backyard. Can Can I bring you a piece of wood and can you make me a baseball bat? um no we can't i mean the the equipment we use is really specialized um but who knows maybe one of those trees is the next big thing that we're that we're uh that we're avoiding
0: that's because people are watching the natural and they they see the way roy hobbs carved that bat out of that tree that broke from the lightning strike and people believe that that's that's just the way bats are
6: made yeah you know it's 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 fun and to a certain extent it's right i mean that's the way it is right so um, we, we bring a lot of youth uh, little league teams and things in through the shop. And the first thing I tell them, it, we typically do it on Saturday mornings. And the first thing I ask is, you know, who, who had pancakes for breakfast? And and inevitably somebody did. And, you know, what did you put on your pancakes? Well, we put syrup. And, and that that's the same tree that, you know, 90% of the bats that we make are – uh, are made out of and and so it, it it's interesting and and it is something that everyone can relate to and I think everyone has that that dream of their first wood bat and and with their name on it and it's a it's a special time.
0: Kirk Gross with us from Powerball Bat Company as we continue here on Sports Talk. What I think is the coolest thing is that somebody can go into your shop, they can custom Uh, order a bat that's going to be made where you can show them the piece of wood, the design, the process, how everything gets done. And ultimately it could be the same exact bat that a big leaguer has. And they could own that same bat here in El Paso, which to me is so cool because Again, they're not only at the, at the the shop to see it being made, but they can be there for the whole process and understand really what goes into making a baseball bat.
6: Yeah, absolutely. from from little leagues to to pro players, um, you know we've had guys that uh, a lot of pro players that come in and play the Chihuahuas that that will come into El Paso who've never seen a bat you know be made before. And so we'll make it right in front of their eyes and, and they'll stay in their own bat. And two days later, they're swinging it at, at Southwest University Park, you know, on a bat that they that they help create, you know, and that's really cool. I don't care if you're a, a little leaguer or, or a seasoned veteran. It's a it's a cool feeling.
0: Four years into the business. How many current big leaguers do you have that are swinging powerball bats?
6: It's hard to put a number on it because the bats change hands. And I'll give you a, a perfect example um, we had a, a you know kind of an up and coming guy for Sugar Land Skeeters, the the Astros AAA ball club, that came to play the the Chihuahuas last year. A guy by the name of Brian De La Cruz, and when he came through, his agent called us a couple weeks before he was coming to town and said, Hey, Brian's coming. Can you guys uh, you know open your shop to him? And and he's searching for a, a new model. Can you take care of him? We said, Yeah, sure. So Brian came in and, and loved the product, wound up signing a contract with us, which was which was, turned out to be great for us, but in kind of unexpected ways, too. So Brian gets traded right at the, the trade deadline last year from the Astros um, to the Marlins and goes right to the big league club. And then before you know it, he connects with Jesus Sanchez, another outfielder for the Marlins. And now Jesus Sanchez is using De La Cruz's bats. And that's how they how quickly they change hands. So you really don't know. Right. I mean, if I had to guess, uh, I would say probably 40 to 50 big leaguers last year were swinging our bats at some point in time. And um, it's hard to keep track of them, too. Uh, you know, it's... it's with pine tar and everything they put on their bats sometimes you can't even tell all the logos but we we try to do our best job to to keep our eyes uh you know peeled and see when they when they show up but the when you expect it the least all of a sudden you'll see it pop up in a game
0: i think one of the coolest things about the story you just mentioned is that uh sanchez has now become a member of the powerball bat team as a result of swinging Dela cruz's bats last year
6: yeah that was a lot of fun and and he's a it seems like a really good guy i haven't had a chance to to meet him yet but once the lockout's over we'll make our way to Florida and, and get a chance to meet him and uh, I'm sure you know share a meal and, and tell some good stories yeah he hit some monster bombs last year with our bats which was fun to see
0: I, that's what I was going to say I, I have a feeling he'd want to be a part of it now when you say they sign a contract for our listeners listening to the show right now what does that mean
6: exactly so we provide a certain number of bats for them during the offseason so uh, uh anyone on the 40-man roster on the big league team the team actually purchases the bats for those players um, during the season. But a lot of times in the offseason, they don't have, you know, quality bats to swing, and especially a lot of the young guys who head back to the Dominican, whatever the case may be. Um, so we make sure that they're outfitted during the offseason. They have quality wood to swing. Um, and then the other thing that the important thing for us is it, it provides exclusivity for us. So Brian De La Cruz will only swing powerball bats and, you know, as long as the contract's, you know, in effect.
0: Is the contract a year-to-year deal, or usually is it a multi-year deal?
6: It's a multi-year deal, and the standard contract is three years with, with a couple of options after, so that's okay. our standard contract.
0: Now, if a player gets provided bats by the big league club during the regular season, and let's say there's extra of bats of theirs after the season is over, do they get those to take back, or are those property of the big league club, and they
6: put them in storage until the next season? You know, they, uh, I don't know the answer to that, to that question. I, I would imagine that they, that the players either keep them or, or give them away to, to other players. A lot of guys, um, as, as we hear a lot about now, especially in the with the MLB negotiations, minimum salaries, and a lot of the stuff that the young minor league guys uh, are going through – the, the guys that do make it to the show, um, they really take care of the, the the teammates that they play with. So, um, and that's a, to answer your question that you asked earlier: how many guys are swinging our wood? You know that a lot of times they'll give bats away to not so much the, uh, well they do give it to other major leaguers but also a lot of minor leaguers especially guys um from you know the same countries the Dominican Venezuela those types of things and
0: i know for you as much as you want to get bats in the hands of big leaguers minor leaguers are super important because if they come up the system swing and power Bowl and they're successful there's a very good chance that as they continue to go into the big leagues they're not going to want to suddenly change they're going to want to stay with what they with with what's been working for them
6: absolutely and then you know th- that's very true and then you also have you know just kind of these these chance opportunities that pop up a, a great example would be last year Lars Nuupar who came up with the Cardinals um we have a mutual friend in in, in common and, and so i messaged him and said hey we would really like you to try our bats are you interested he said yeah send me one and that was, you know, towards the end of last season, uh, we sent him three bats, he never put them down. And in fact, he still has none of the three broke, he took them with them through, they were in the, the wild card game last year, and then um, took him into the Arizona Fall League, and he still had the same three bats that we had given him before and and was raking with them so um you know sometimes they'll hold on to them too at the end of the season they don't want to let them go if they're they're you know they're feeling good
0: are you impressed with how long these bats last because you know what in the old days you swung an ash bat chances are you broke it after a certain amount of time and taped it up as a batting practice bat and swung the next mm-hmm. one and yet a lot of your bats they last a while
6: yeah i mean we do a a really good job inspecting the the wood where we get it. The little secret in the in the wood bat business is I think there were thirty seven major league uh, approved uh, bat manufacturers and and we all get our wood from the same place, which presents challenges obviously especially um, in now during the supply chain issues that we have and and labor shortage et cetera um, It's challenging, but uh, we do a good job at inspecting the wood, making sure that um, you know the players get the best that they possibly can. Um, And then we reject a lot, too. I mean, there's a lot of billets that that don't make it. Um, And so we'll make those into trophy bats or something else.
0: More with um, our friend Kirk Gross from Powerball Back Company as we continue. In fact, if you want to get into the show, you can do it one of two ways. Either call in at 880-5763 or tweet the show, 600-ESPN-EL-PASO, on Twitter. Before we go to Charlie One, I want to tell you a story about Alex and Bonnie, who are ready to upgrade to a new and better home, and they had to sell their current northeast side home, so they started with another agent, but he couldn't get the job done. So they switched out to Brian Birds and his team, and man, they had complete opposite results. The home sold quickly for $185,000, and now Brian and his team are helping them find their new ideal home. It's another great success story, thanks to Brian Birds and the Brian Birds home selling team powered by eXp Realty. Now, you gotta find that sweet spot when you're listing your home, not too high where it doesn't sell, or too low where you leave money on the table. You need Brian and his team. Remember, in the El Paso area, a lot of delays to getting a home sold. Timelines aren't being met by appraisers, lenders, builders, and other vendors. But no matter what the obstacle is, Brian and his team know how to get it done. That's the Brian Birds Home Selling Team powered by eXp Realty. No drama with Brian. Give him a call. Official real estate agent of UTEP and I'll pass Paso Locomotive FC. Not to mention the only agent I would call if I needed to sell my home. You can call Brian Birds today, 751 1500, or Google Brian Birds and start packing.
2: Fill your whole getty Call
4: Brian
0: Go to 22 past the hour as we continue right now with Kurt Gross, Powerable Bat Company. Adrian, you ever swung one of Kurt's bats?
1: Never, I have not.
0: When was the last time you swung a bat in general?
1: Uh, no, not too long. No, like maybe a couple years ago, like two or three years ago. All Nothing right. crazy.
0: Go. It's a good workout. Go
1: in the cage. It. Take your cuts. Yeah, I love. I love doing it for sure. I'm in.
6: Well, Let's hey, go. I'm go. in. Let's, let's do, do it. it, Kurt. Let's do it. I'm, I can throw some mean BP. Let me tell you. You can. Right, let's do it.
0: And I'll tell you something else. Um, I know that nobody cares about this, but it's true. I went four for five in the uh, Sandlot tournament last October uh, in Marfa, swinging uh, a powerball bat, and I'm a bat. It was. It the was bat. the bat because even my even the only out I made put the ball in play, just hit it to the, just hit it to somebody. But um, yeah, knocked a ball over the head of everybody in the outfield, took a triple on that one and uh, the ball was jumping off my bat and uh, I loved it. It was, it was terrific. And I'm telling you that's, and I mean this when I'm, I'm not just blowing smoke. It's I hadn't swung and, and swung at a hard ball in a game in over 20 years and went up there, not knowing what to expect. Didn't want to embarrass myself. And by the end of it, I was ready to play again. It was one of those there, like let's let's keep doing this. It's too much fun.
6: That's a that's a fun league too, and and we we had the opportunity to to get together with you guys, and then we also uh, spent some time down in in Austin with the Playboys, and that mm. was a lot of fun. We'll be
0: seeing them next month. And,
6: yeah, they have a great facility there. Um, it, it's just a great a great time and. It, for anyone who hasn't checked it out and doesn't know about sandlot baseball, you need to you need to do that. It's a kind of a blast of the past. and it's a, it's just a lot of fun, very relaxed environment and, and great for the family.
0: I'm looking forward to going to long ball. I heard it's a fun place to be and a long time. the long time. Yeah, that's
6: exactly what it is. Yeah, so that's great.
0: Good. Um, spring training is kind of going on now for minor leaguers it is just not for the yeah. big leaguers because of the lockout. Yeah. How many trips have you taken to Arizona in the last month or so and tell me what it's been like for you as you've been delivering bats to teams.
6: Yeah, so you know, we've kind of shifted. Obviously the teams have no contact with with guys on their 40-man roster. So um the pros we're we've dealt with on the on the team side, we deal with the equipment managers who then send us the orders for the players that they can't talk to. So that's really kind of interesting. How does that work? Well, they, you know, they like Lars Newbar who we talked about earlier, um, we get a call or an email from the equipment manager of the Cardinals who will say, hey, I need 18 bats for, for Lars. You know the model he swings. You know what he likes. Send him to the club.
0: He and- is not allowed to call you and say – Kurt, these are the bats I want for this upcoming season. That is that is not that's against the rules based no. on the lockout.
6: No, I can deal with the player, right? But the the equipment manager can't deal with the player, so I'm kind of the go between. Oh, you're so the middleman. The middle e- man. The, equi- okay. the equipment manager calls me and says, "Hey, Lars, wants we know he wants your bats, yeah. he told us last year before the lockout uh, started, he wants your bats. Send me what he wants. We need okay. eighteen of them. So, you know, the equipment equipment managers trust us." to send the right bats, the right colors, the right weights, all that kind of stuff. So that's how it's been really weird. I mean, honestly, it's been really weird.
0: Now, um, how many, so as we said, you know, how many big league guys in camp, 40-man roster guys are currently under contract right
6: now for Powerball? So we have uh, six 40-man guys uh, under contract. Um, and we've actually, we're in the unique situation now where we're saying no a lot um, which is which is good so guys want contracts and just like anything else kind of like the stock market yeah. you've got to look at it and, and see where you're going to invest because at the end of the day um, you know it is an investment in fact you uh, uh, Jim Center was in here talking about the wood costs, right, and, and construction and everything else. Same thing in billets. Our our price per billet has doubled in the last eighteen months. So um, when we sign a player to a contract, that's an investment on our end too, and we're being we have to be more and more selective on who we sign. So um, I, you know, I'm not necessarily proud of it, but we've said no a lot. To, to guys that want contracts now quite honestly just because it may not be the right fit for us
0: if minor leaguers want contracts which i'm sure you can sign minor leaguers yeah. um do minor league teams buy bats the way big league teams do or do you just have to be the sole providers of the bats
6: yeah so it it, it works um for the minor league guys typically either the player buys them himself believe it or not i believe or, it, or the agent buys them In mo- in most cases the agent buys them that's still tough because if you think about it you know Major League Baseball now
0: owns and operates all of minor league baseball because they yeah. took it over, yeah. and yet they do not invest in bats for the minor league teams the way they do for the major league teams. It's a yeah. people don't. I don't think people don't always understand uh, how difficult it is to be a minor league player, especially when you're talking about costs of bats and things like that.
6: Yeah, so there are there are uh, minor league clubs that contract with bat manufacturers to buy what they call stock. Stock bats, you know, I need a hundred or twelve dozen stock bats, and in popular models, okay. um, it's less likely that uh, becoming less likely that players use those bats. Obviously, they still use them to a certain extent, but you know, you're you're then forced to use whatever model happens to come in. And quite honestly, what we hear now is that the quality of our wood is so much better than the stock bats that are being provided by the clubs. That's why we're getting a lot of orders from the minor leaguers or the agents.
0: If you produced stock bats, would they be higher quality or would they be just like everybody else? Um,
6: I would say they would be the same quality as any other pro that that gets them from us. Oh, okay. Uh, So, so I'm not sure how other bat manufacturers, you know, um, grade their wood. Um, We buy from, from one particular vendor. Uh, in upstate New York. And and we trust their evaluation, but then we evaluate the billets when they come in as well. So just because they said it's a a prime billet, I've seen stuff that that I didn't like in in billets that come, you know, prime that we pay a, a pretty small fortune for.
0: And then you send them back and make sure you get good ones yeah. that, that, that are better. Um, are there any other bat manufacturers that use the same person that you order from, or are they exclusive all, to you?
6: No, we all buy from the same, the one same mill. We all get it from the same place.
0: And when you say we, meaning pretty much every major bat manufacturer?
6: In, in Yes. So I would, like Louisville Slugger and Rawlings, they have their own mills, but I, I know for a fact that they buy in part some of the major league wood uh, from the same supplier we do that's wild now the bat that you find it at, at dick's or academy or whatever probably doesn't come from the same manufacturer we get it from that probably comes from their mill it's i'm sure a lower grade wood but um every single menu there's 37 of them last year yeah. uh, i heard a couple of them fell out this year so um luckily we weren't one of those that fell out uh we'll stay with our mlb license again this year and um you know every single one of them gets their wood in part from the same place we do
0: um, is there any chance that they're going to run out of wood anytime soon?
6: It, it, they're not going to run out so it goes by species. You talked about ash wood earlier. Ash the ash tree there's a beetle that's that's impacting the ash tree. It's killing the ash tree. Um, to be I didn't quite know honest. That. Yeah, so that's in part why um in fact, there was a great article in the Athletic about Joey Votto buying 150 uh, billets from Marucci and storing them in temperature-controlled room- rooms because he loves to swing an ash bat. Really? Yeah, it's, it's a and it's a great
0: article. So, and so he buys the he buys the billets himself he stores them and then when he's ready to have them made he'll send them off to Marucci, and they'll make it for him
6: or or he'll they'll make the bat for him and he stores them i, I forget exactly what it is interesting i got to read that article yeah, that sounds like, like 150 fun. bats he wanted to make sure that he had enough for the rest of his career
0: wow yeah, all right it's that, crazy. that that really is interesting but other than the ash shortage um, birch and maple were okay
6: yeah the 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 supply is there it's just a matter of of finding the labor to to mill them and then get us the the billet well, at least the supply is still good. That's, correct, that's, correct.
0: I, I can't correct. even imagine how many acres of trees we're talking about that helps produce baseball
6: bats. Yeah, it's crazy. It, and, and a lot goes to, to waste. We get asked quite a bit, um, you know, what do you do with the with the sawdust that comes? And you, the average billet is about 88 ounces. The finished bat is 31 ounces. So you do the math, and, and we wound up, you know, uh, discarding about 60% of the, the, the wood turns into sawdust. Now, we recycle it all to local gardener uh, nurseries and, and gardens uh they use it in uh, to retain the moisture in their soil so we recycle everything that we um that we don't put in you know it doesn't go to the actual bat um but that's important for us to do too
0: come back and uh, we'll wrap things up here with kirk rose as we continue from Powerball bat company 31 past the hour but first let's go to adrian and get this sports center update It's 33 past the hour. We're talking right now to Kurt Gross uh, from Powerable Bat Company here in El Paso. Four years they've been making big league bats, but the company's been around for almost 20 years now. But uh, Kurt uh, took it to a different level when he brought the operation here to El Paso, away from Mexico, and really started branching out uh, to big leaguers. Uh, When's the next trip to Arizona, and uh, what's the next
6: month or two going to look like for you? Yeah, it's going to be crazy. Next trip to Arizona is tomorrow. Um, meeting with a couple guys from the Rangers and a couple guys from the Padres. Um, I'll be in Arizona pretty much every weekend now through most likely May, and who knows what spring training is going to look like.
0: Where do you stay? Where do you just, do you we ha- we, we have deal? family,
6: thank God. We have family in, in Scottsdale, so Uncle there Jimmy, thanks. And uh, we couldn't do it without without them because we're there so often. Well, so
0: You might as well just buy a place and just have a little place to crash, right?
6: Yeah, and, you know, there's opportunities to go out there too. Uh, the the Tejanos uh, played a tournament out in Tucson, mm-hmm. so it was fun to make a, a quick trip to, to see them out there. They're doing a great uh, – they're having a great season. They've got some great ballplayers out there. Coach Susie's doing a great job, and their next game is is Saturday at eleven. So if anybody wants to see some live baseball, get out there to EPCC and, and cheer on the local guys. They're doing a great job out there.
0: Do any D one schools contact you about trying to provide bats for them, especially as they train?
6: Yeah, absolutely. So we were up at New Mexico State with Coach Kirby. Um, they've got a, a, a great program there in Las Cruces, and and I would encourage anyone to go watch a ball game. Beautiful stadium, gorgeous. They have a new hitting uh, outdoor hitting kind of facility yeah. there it's it's small but it's really really nice and and coach van horn coach kirby and the, and the guys up there do a great job too
0: absolutely right so all right so las cruces new mexico state what about like arizona state arizona have you started since you're there so often have you started to talk to those schools about maybe getting the bats we haven't
6: yet um we've been so busy with the with the young young guys at the at the big league facilities there yeah uh at the complexes um, the young guys are all there. They've been working there for a couple weeks now. And the, the remaining have to show up tomorrow, actually, or, or Sunday. I'm sorry. They've got to show up Sunday. So the minor league guys will, will be in their version of spring training. Their spring training starts uh, next week in earnest. And it, we've been up there often. I mean, every weekend dealing with players there.
0: So you're going to Arizona, um, and, and again, the process is you meet with the clubhouse attendees. They give you essentially the list. Now, do you already have lists and you're making bats that you're having to then bring up and deliver personally hand deliver those bats to, uh, to these teams?
6: Yeah, and so it, it really just depends on the player and, and how well-established he is and sold on a model. So we were talking about models before, and some guys know exactly what they want and other guys don't. I mean, we're talking about um, top ten guys, prospects in, in big league clubs that um, are still at this point in their career playing double A or even triple A, they're open to swinging different models or they want to try swinging different models. So we'll usually go up with uh, at least a dozen or so models for them to try out and and let them swing different things and and see what happens. How many top
0: prospects already have bat
6: deals in the minor leagues? You know, I think the the better known prospects, you know, I think if you're looking at at Major League Baseball, overall Major League Baseball's um, top 30, they're probably uh, pretty secure, but I'll, I'll tell you, uh, Corey Lee, if you look on, on his Absolutely. Instagram page. Nice uh,
0: Houston Astros catching prospect.
6: Yeah, number one prospect in the Astros organization. Yep. Um, he posted a, a picture of our bats that we sent to him today, in fact. And so Corey swings a, a, a traditional model, 243, a big bat. And um, he contacted us to see if we could send him a couple samples. He'd heard some good things. And, you know, we established a good relationship with the Astros as as Sugarland comes through El Paso. Um, and so, even within an organization, our brand has taken off
0: very nice the c two forty three is c two
6: forty three yeah I big remember. boy bat big that, boy bat that is a
0: big boy bat, and that bat 's been around forever that's the yeah. that 's the cool thing too is that there 's new bats there's there 's always going to be models that evolve, but sometimes there 's just the ultimate the old classics that are still around
6: exactly exactly and he he 's swinging birch too, which is really kind of interesting to see not everyone is sold on maple, which which I like to see birch is such a great wood. Um, almost as hard as, as maple, but it's uh, from a just a, a craftsman perspective, you get great coloration in in birch, and it's a lot of fun to work with, too. As
0: far as the ball itself, does it pretty much bounce off the bats the same way no matter what?
6: So birch is interesting. Birch will get harder and harder as it, you know, quote-unquote breaks in. So really? we, we steel press. Uh, we have a, a steel rod that we try to compress the birch wood as much as we can on the lathe. Um, but you'll see it compress uh, over time, and it kind of just gets harder and harder and harder.
0: Yeah, from a cost standpoint, is birch pretty much the same cost as maple? Same, yeah, same cost. For okay, the, for so the it's prime. so it's more just personal preference, depending Absolutely. on what player wants. And, Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, what's the goal for twenty twenty two for for Power Bull? Let me hear what's uh, what you're hoping for. Best case scenario.
6: I, I'm hoping for a great moment in the playoffs. You know, let's do something special. We had a couple really special moments, big home runs last year, back to back guys that we signed under contract hitting home runs in their first MLB game, you know, being called up. That was special. Um, but I, th- I think more than anything else, just getting our brand out there, getting back in the clubhouses and visiting with, with guys again. You know, COVID took that away the last two seasons. So that's what we're really looking forward to and, and, and introducing our brand to the young guys, getting it in their hands. And, and I think this year, if we have something special happen with us in the, in the playoffs and in World Series, that would, be, that would be the next big thing for us.
0: You co-owned an ad agency forever. Yeah. Then you get involved and you become uh, really the, the head of, uh, of uh, a hospital in terms of uh, you know marketing and PR and what you're doing. And now yeah. you run a bat company. Yeah. It's unbelievable when you start to think about life. And if I would have told you 20 years ago, hey, Kirk, guess what you're going to be doing in 2022? You're going to be uh, going around from spring training complex to complex and uh, delivering bats to players.
6: I never would have believed you. Never would have believed you. But, I, you know, I wouldn't trade it for the world either. It's been a lot of fun. Absolutely, it's been and, and more than anything else. Now, you look—you're a sports fan. Your kids played
0: ball. You yeah. still have one that's playing. Now you have one playing college ball, yeah. which is very cool for you. I know yeah. that you're loving that. Yeah. And uh and, and as a sports fan, you're now getting a chance to get into the science of bat making, which, yeah. to be honest, is probably you need to have a PhD in that to be able to do this, don't you?
6: Yeah, I mean. We got introduced with MLB. Um, they flew us to um, to Wisconsin, or we we flew up to Wisconsin during the polar vortex four years ago, mm-hmm. uh, and met with forensic botanists. And if the same thing, if you would have told me I was meeting with forensic botanists, I, I would never have believed you. But that's that's where it started, and you you get, you learn an incredible amount uh, of of characteristics about wood and. You know that that's what we think makes us a little bit different. We we make the highest quality that we possibly can.
0: Raúl texting into the show wants to know if uh, Power Bowl is making bats for C.J. Abrams or Robert Hassel, some of the top uh, San Diego Padres prospects.
6: Neither one of those two guys, um, but a little bit deeper in their top prospects. Uh, in fact, um, uh, Jackson Merrill who's I think number five, number six, mm-hmm. uh, Luis Camposano, who is here, has, yeah. has swung our bats. Um, and then I'll tell you someone to look forward to, to seeing in a Chihuahuas and, and eventually a Padres uniform, James Wood, uh, another top prospect for the Padres. Um, he's going to do something special. Big. He reminds me of kind of like an Aaron Judge kind of guy. Huge, huge frame and, and a lot of power. Is that the kid you picked up in our uh, fantasy draft, Adrian James Wood?
1: Yes, that is. That's right.
0: All right, there very nice. Go. So you've got a, a powerful go. client on your uh, on your fantasy roster. I love
1: that. That sounds great.
0: If yeah. people want to come in, take a tour, see what it's like and and look to uh, get their own bat made, whether it's yeah. for their for themselves,
6: for their kids, they can give them as gifts, what do they need to do? Just go on our website Com. Um, everything's there to place an order, or you can call me, 915-203-2225, and, and we'll get you all set up. Raul or I will will work with you and make sure we get the right bat in your hand.
0: Fantastic. Powerablebatco.com. Yep. PowerPoolBatco.com. Very
6: yep. nice. All right, listen,
0: Great to see you. Thanks for Good dropping you, by. And uh, appreciate you talking a little ball with us. It's nice yeah. to talk a little. Hey, there's a lockout, but it doesn't mean we're not still making bats for big no, league baseball no, season.
6: Absolutely not. We're busy as we can be. And and hopefully this lockout will end. And you know what? The Chihuahuas will be starting up in, in April, and we'll have minor league baseball anyway. So Good. Looking forward to it. Come back and Thank see you. us again soon. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank Kirk
0: you. Gross, folks, as we continue, come back to wrap it up. Final Countdown next as Sports Talk continues.